This Washington Post Live podcast is supported by Kaiser Permanente, where an integrated system of primary care doctors and specialists work together as a team to deliver healthy outcomes and consistent care. More at kp.org slash better for business. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On Thursday, November 1st, National Economic Council Director Larry Kudlow and Blue Mercury CEO Marla Beck joined policymakers and entrepreneurs at The Washington Post to discuss opportunities and challenges for small businesses in the United States. In this segment, Kudlow discusses how the administration's policies, including deregulation, tax cuts, trade and healthcare reform, are shaping the economic landscape for independent businesses throughout the country. Let's listen. Great to be with you. Good morning. I'm Bob Costa with The Washington Post, a national political reporter. Really appreciate you all coming out for this small business forum. And it's really, we're so glad to have Larry Kudlow here. Uh, the longtime CNBC commentator, writer, author, now President Trump's top economic advisor in the White House, focusing on economic policy, directing the National Economic Council. Larry, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure, Robert. Um, starting at the New York Fed in open market operations, 1973. I wasn't going to date you, Larry. Couple of you're, you're starting to bring up the biography, but couple of stints on Wall Street, and yes, yes, yes. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be. We appreciate you being here at the Washington Post. So I know everyone here is paying attention to the stock market, and and Larry, when you think about the market over the last few weeks, the last few months, is the president's trade war responsible for the dip? I doubt it very much. Uh, the economy is so healthy right now. And profits are soaring. I mean, look, I've said this a bunch. Corrections come and go. I mean, I've been around the stock market. I used to work in the stock market as a, a Wall Street economist. Um, you, you can't predict it. Uh, you can't predict the top. You can't predict the bottom, which, by the way, you all should just buy and hold. That's a Kudlow dictum. Um, Jeremy Siegel dictum. Uh, Etc. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, the closest thing I can see I'm, I'm not giving, this is just my personal opinion. I think a lot of the big, big tech stocks, the FANG stocks, got pretty toppy. And uh, they were due for a correction. That's just one man's opinion. That's not the official White House view or anything like that. Um, you know, I think they led the market down. Corrections are probably overdue. We had a much bigger one, by the way, last winter. So, no, I don't, I don't think trade enters into it. Is this the start of a long-term downturn? Uh, I don't believe so. Robert, um, the case I make is the economy, to me, looks so strong and durable right now. Uh, confidence is up. Jobs are up. Blue-collar jobs are up. Small businesses are up. We'll get to that, I, I guess. Um, we're seeing very good business investment, which is really the heart of a solid recovery. Um, maybe a little sloppy in the, in the third quarter. But um, capital goods orders are huge right now. So it, it just seems to me, you know, again, profits are the mother's milk of stocks. Profits are the lifeblood of the economy. And uh, I, I think profits are going to continue to rise. And I think we're hitting on all cylinders. And I, I do want to mention 
uh, for our group. I'm sorry you can't see this. You probably have. For small business, I'm a great devotee of the uh, NFIB. Uh, with, I don't, I'm not offending anybody, but they do fabulous work on the National Federation of Independent Business. You look through this thing. This is their latest chart book for uh, September. You see... Oh, <laughs> here, look at this. Look at the optimism index. So there's a, you say there's a lot of optimism in the economy among small businesses, but small businesses want to know about certainty. And there's an election next week. Yes. If the Democrats take over the House, what should small businesses expect? What does that mean for the Trump economic agenda? Well, actually, on that one, I think inside this uh, correction someplace uh, is some nerves about the election because I think that small business and all business and frankly the workforce is enjoying a very strong economic boom which is quite unexpected our critics said you know you you got to stay in one to two percent growth and we've broken out of that to three percent plus so things like corporate taxes uh, not just the big guys 21 percent marginal rate but also small business estimated to have a 19 or 20 percent effective tax rate down from almost 40 that's a huge thing i think they're worried about that i think they're also worried about red tape and regulations which has been a hallmark of the president's uh, economic growth policies uh, i think uh, people would be very worried about the energy boom which is another hallmark of the president's economic growth policies we will be pumping about um, 15 million barrels of oil per day in about two years, according to the Interior and Energy Departments. It's really quite, we have so much natural gas that they're flaring it, burning it off, and hopefully we can build a lot of pipelines to, um, to uh, use that, sell it to Europe, undermine Russia, sell it to Asia, maybe undermine China. So those hallmarks, there are other policies, and we've had a lot of health care reforms that I think have helped small business. So I think they're worried about that. I, I think everyone's worried about that. They just, why would you want to overturn what appears to be a very strong economic period backed up by pro-growth policies where, let me, I don't mean to filibuster, I'll quit in a minute, but where you have a president almost from day one after the election in November 2016. Look at the, the, this confidence. I'm, I apologize, but this thing starts to really jump. But a lot of businesses, small businesses, are nervous about this trade war, and they're wondering, win or lose the House next week, just how far is this administration going to go in its trade war with China? Well, again, folks like a president who ends the war on business. That's the point I wanted to make. And that became apparent when these confidence indexes jumped right after the election, ending the war on success. And with lower tax rates, you know, you keep more of what you earn. You reward it if you're successful. So I think that accounts for the confidence that's so important. Now, specifically regarding trade, um, I understand there's some uh, questions and perhaps some anxieties about trade. Uh, I would say, as a free trader, that, first of all, the president would like to abolish tariffs and non-tariff barriers and subsidies. He is a free trader. But 
we are stuck with a lot of foreign unfair trading practices, which um, have how far been, do you take it? Have been harmful to the U.S. workforce and the economy, and and I think Robert the frankly the principal culprit is China. So how far do you take it? President has made his statements using tariffs as a negotiating tool as part of his uh, quiver. I don't want to get ahead of the curve. He, I guess, was interviewed a couple evenings ago, and he said, look, if we could reach a deal, a satisfactory deal that helps both sides with China, then the tariffs could be pulled. I know that always is philosophy. What does that mean, a satisfactory but deal? On the other hand, if we don't, which includes the uh, intellectual property theft, forced technology transfers, the lack of ownership, high tariffs on commodities and industry supplies, cybersecurity, the whole list, which is very, very important to us. If they don't make a satisfactory offer, then um, the president will continue to aggressively pursue his agenda, and I think he's right to do so. I say that as a free trader. But you can't have free trade with this bill of attainder China is breaking the rules. And we signed at the UN a tripartite agreement with the EU, USA, and Japan. And that agreement was a very important agreement. Uh, that agreement lays out the brief against non-market economies, they call it, read China. And, uh, what did I just hear this morning? So, did you tell me, or somebody told me, the ambassadors to France and Germany uh, were in China? I hope I get the story right. Uh, essentially, sending that message: you must change. You must change. So, how far? I don't want to get ahead of the curve. There'll probably be a meeting. Probably be a meeting in Argentina. In, in Buenos Aires. What's the specific goal of that meeting between President Xi and President Trump? If you're a small business, you're wondering: can this? Can they make peace on trade or not? You know, Robert, I don't know the answer to that. My crystal ball is not at all clear. The agenda is being discussed and worked on in, inside both camps. I think it will include trade. I'm not 100% sure. I don't want to get ahead of our curve. We're talking about a pull-aside meeting coming up this month between yeah. President Xi and President Trump. Well, actually, it would be a very formal bilateral sit-down, a very formal one. There was even talk of a meal, lunch, or dinner. I don't know. Uh, Ambassador Bolton is the lead on that. NEC, Treasury, we're all working very hard. Of course, uh, Ambassador Lighthizer, who's done a great job as our trade rep. I just don't know. I don't know. The you know, president says, I don't know Xi. I wasn't in the, when he came here, I, I wasn't in the government, um, so I've never met him. president says they have good relations. Okay. I hope so. I think, frankly, you know, we've been to Beijing, they've been to Washington, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I think only they can break the logjam. What does it mean for U.S. business, U.S. small business, if the Chinese economy continues to have struggle and it's, and it's having its own slide over there? You know, I'm not going to deny that there could be some very modest effect, and I underscore very modest. On the U.S. economy? That's correct. Um, I know a lot of small businesses are, you know, import and export. I love that. 
um, international trading, supply chains, but we, we can we can do it. We are doing it right now with, without China. Right now, we are doing it without China because we we put up a lot of tariffs. Um, I don't know, 250 billion. The 200 is a 10 percent. The other 50 billion, I think, was a 25 percent. I call it the technology tariff, which is very important. Uh, no, I think, you know, we're growing 3.5 percent in Q3, as you know, 4.2 percent in Q2. Uh, the four quarter change is now 3 percent, which is a milestone. Our small businesses are soaring, soaring. They're killing it. That's what these charts show, and I apologize. I should have put them up on the screen. They're killing it. Should small businesses expect three percent growth next year? Yes, yes. Cut low forecast. Maybe higher. Yes. But that's a baseline for next year. That's right. We will put out our budget, um, Mick Mulvaney, and so forth. Um, I don't want to give away the family jewels, but three percent is a good number to think about. People said it could be done. You're, you're the In fact, one of the. Let's just pause for a second, Robert. Um, I, I know there's a lot of political stories out there. We're talking the economy. I know, and you're very. You're, you've gotten very good at it, really. I've known him for years, um, uh, and I'm impressed. Okay. But thank you, Larry. <laughs> back to the questions. Back to the questions. Um, I believe the biggest story in 2018 is an economic boom that almost everyone said would be impossible. How are you going to bolster wages, though? There's still some nerves about that. I just, let me just tagline that last one, because there's a million political events, and I understand that, and some are more important than others. But here's, and I owe this to the Washington Post's excellent reporting, a couple of factoids. Uh, I just met the woman. I don't want to Heather get Long. any trouble, but Heather Long wrote this fabulous piece a while back. Uh, front page above the fold, Washington Post is, you know, well-known supply-side newspaper. And that's a joke. And um, she noted the explosion of blue-collar jobs, which hadn't, you know what? People hadn't really focused on that, including me. And she went all the way back to Reagan in 84, where I, you know, I was a Reagan Cub Scout economist in the Office of Managed Budget in those days. That's big. That's very big. And the other factoid, uh, which came from another source, probably our own CEA, blue-collar workforce wages are growing faster than the white collar. They're not as high, don't get me wrong, but they're growing faster. That's extremely unusual and suggests to us that particularly the business tax reforms and tax cuts are really working because Kevin Hassett, my dear friend and CA chair, wrote this piece, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. I've been using it for years for corporate tax reform. The biggest beneficiaries of corporate tax reform are the ordinary workforce, and it's kicking in. So, Larry, if the Democrats take over, yes. it's going to be divided government. Yes. Would you be willing to consider a deal with the Democrats, a fiscal deal, where 
tax hikes were involved at some level? Abs you're asking me yes. personally? Absolutely not. What about President Trump? I cannot speak for him. So he's not, he hasn't ruled out tax increases as part of a fiscal deal? Well, look, uh, we just signed a joint statement with Congress uh, looking for middle-class tax cuts. And uh, Ways and Means Chairman Kevin Brady uh, just got a floor vote on uh, Tax Cuts 2.0, which would make the individual tax cuts permanent uh, and some other important savings uh, incentives. So you're not seeing this. I mean, if you, you know, to look ahead, look what we're doing now, look what the president is campaigning on, look what Chairman Brady is talking about. Um, so I, I can't predict the world, but I will say at the present time, I do not believe we will raise taxes. I do not believe it. And if Democrats take the House, possibility, uh, I would expect tax cuts to be uh, tax hikes, rather. That's what they're running on. They want to overturn the uh, tax bill. Um, they won't get through the Senate. And if it ever did, President Trump would veto it. That's my personal view. Hasn't happened. That's my personal view. The Senate probably would stop tax hikes. And if by chance it got through the Senate, President Trump would veto tax hikes. Do you think tax hikes are necessary to address the deficit at some point? No. Um, I think we need 10 years or so of economic growth, running about 3% per year. I also think we need to limit spending. Um, you'll see a very tough budget coming from the administration in a couple months. Again, Mr. Mulvaney. Does that cut Social Security or Medicare? It will not. It will not. And I just want to correct. It's, I try to do this to correct the record. I've been trying for months. Nobody wants to pick it up. In an interview in New York a while back, uh, there was some confusion. The interviewer is a very bright lady, a friend of mine. She was referring to the, the two big entitlements. I, I was referring to the remnants of Obamacare. I said, that's where we're going to go, that's where we're going to go. And it, we got tangled up. But uh, no, we have no plans to touch the large entitlements. We do have plans, however, uh, to uh, erase remnants of Obamacare and provide more market-oriented, incentive-oriented health care. You've been in the conservative movement for decades. That's been a project for conservatives, trying to pull back long-term federal spending on Social Security and Medicare. Now you're saying the president, a Republican president, won't touch them. That's correct. At, that's his view at the present time. And, um, you know, I think you described it aptly. Look, President Trump is a growth guy. You know, President Trump is a growth guy. And his view, which I fully, totally, 100% support, is that these tax cut and deregulation policies are working. The economy is picked up. He believes that can go on. He, he actually tells me all the time we need to have higher growth than 3%. We'll take three, but... Um, and that has a big impact on the budget. I mean, if the CBO is running a baseline of 2% growth or less, and we get 3% growth over 10 years, that's a roughly, roughly $3.5 trillion reduction in the deficit. Now, I'm not saying there's a lot to reduce. The president has said non-defense, non-big entitlements, but everything else, 
will be subject to a 5% reduction across the board. It may not be even. Programs, some useful programs may rise, but uh, most of them are not. Um, so you'll see that be the toughest budget yet. And he's made that statement, and they're fleshing it out at OMB. So the combination of lower spending and faster economic growth through the tax cuts is our policy. It's a policy that's working. And I think certainly as a share of GDP, the budget deficit will be coming down each and every year. It, it clocked in at, what, 3.8 uh, or 3.9% of GDP. Actually came in $100 billion less than CBO thought. It's too high, don't get me wrong, but we're gaining on it. You, you think the deficit will come down, or, you got, or is the administration committed to having it come down? Both. Both. I think it will come down because of uh, faster economic growth, and I think the administration is committed to policies that will restrain government, in effect. Um, look, President Trump is, a, as you know, a very successful former businessman. Doesn't care much for waste. He's going to go after it. His, uh, his promise, one he said a couple weeks ago, of a 5% reduction in uh, non-entitlement domestic spending, I, I can't recall anything quite so tough. And by the way, people say, well, all the money is in the big entitlements. Actually, it's not. There's a lot of money there, though. Yes, there is. But there's a lot of money in um, discretionary programs and smaller entitlements. Your whole argument is grow the economy and not touch the long-term federal spending programs. Touch around the edges. On the minimum wage, the Democrats are going to come if they get any kind of power on Tuesday and say, Larry, President Trump, we want a $15 federal minimum wage. Is there any way you could go up to that level uh, and cut a deal with us on the minimum wage? Look, I can't, again, can't speak for the president. But is my, it possible to cut a deal with the Democrats on the minimum wage? My view is no. My view is a federal minimum wage is a terrible idea. Terrible idea. And will damage uh, particularly small businesses uh, to force them to take a kind of payroll increase um, would be silly. Um, Idaho is different than New York. Alabama is different than Nebraska. That's why the federal minimum wage doesn't work for me. Now, uh, a month ago or so, I hope I get this right, Amazon um, raised its corporation's minimum wage to $15. Is that right? Yeah. Amazon's CEO personally owns the Washington Post. Yes. Um, and so people ask me. No, for, we have to disclose that. Yes. <laughs> Larry brought it up. Look, man, it's a supply-side newspaper. Um, anyway... Uh, That's his opinion. We're a nonpartisan newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working here. So, I applauded it. I applauded, Mr. Bezos. I applauded it. Great. I'm, I'm a Jack Kemp, uh, JFK, my book, uh, JFK and the Reagan Revolution which is all about tax cuts, which should be bipartisan, in my humble opinion. By the way, you can uh, easily get it, JFK and the Reagan Revolution. Just one click on Amazon, you can pick it up. <laughs> so I applauded the 15% minimum wage. That's a private decision, absolutely. And uh, I, I want the workforce to grow, prosper, 
I want wages to soar. I don't think it's inflationary. I don't think more people working and succeeding is inflationary. I've always had that view. Now, then people say, well, I guess on, later on on cable TV, Bernie Sanders came out and supported the minimum wage. So people were saying, well, um, you know, Kudlow and Sanders are agreeing. Well, I guess on that topic we do, but not the federal. And I, I would argue against state and local, but that's up to the states and localities. Speaking of inflation, the Federal Reserve, a lot of public frustration from President Trump about Chairman Powell. Has the president considered replacing Powell as chairman, keeping him on the board of governors, but replacing him as chairman? No. No, to my knowledge, to my knowledge, no. Um, by the way, it would be impossible to ask. You could, you could, Jay Powell's a friend of mine. I don't even want to go down this road, but um, a Fed chair can only be removed for cause. That's maybe Supreme from the Federal Court. Reserve Board, but could you install a different chairman? Um, I don't think so. It's a four-year term. I, I'd have to look at the archives on that, but I think it's a four-year term. But no, we're not, the president has said we're not going there. He has said that. Um, look. Is it independent? Has the president ever called Chairman Powell that you know of and said, please don't raise the rates? Not yet. No. Um, president, you know, a successful businessman and investor knows a lot about this. He's giving his opinion. He's giving his opinion. You know, Greenspan's book just came out, and Alan said, you know, one way or the other, talking, notes, phone calls, presidents are always giving the Fed advice. Um, President Trump has not made the call, phone call. But he believes, or he's concerned, that the Fed is um, moving its target rate up uh, too high and too rapidly. That's his view. By the way, a lot of distinguished economists hold that view. Has Chairman okay. Powell, though, ever called you up and said, Larry, this is too much, this public pressure? I have lunch with Chairman Powell each month. And... Uh, you know, we swap anecdotes and stories. I was just going to say that I believe the Fed and the administration has similar goals. That is to say, non-inflationary growth. And I think that over time that will become more and more apparent. And I also will applaud Chairman Powell for breaking out of the mold, you know, Low unemployment is bad. It's going to cause inflation. No, it's not. No, it's. I mean, if the dollar collapses, that'll cause inflation. Could Low the president install a dove on the Fed at some point? Well, there. Um, I believe there are still two appointments to be made. Okay, but I don't want to conjecture on that. I don't want to get. Well, why not put a dove in there? Well, look, I don't want to conjecture on. So it's, the president may be open to it. It's someone with a different mindset. I, I don't even want to put words in his mouth on any of that stuff. That's hypotheticals. You know I hate hypotheticals. But I'm, I'm just saying, Jay Powell has said publicly in his speeches that these old Fed models, you know, more people working and low employment is bad, he doesn't buy it. He said that publicly. He said we don't know what the neutral interest rate is. He said that publicly. Um, he said we don't know steady state inflation, why does it have to go above two? So I think he and the president share important goals. That's what I think. But the president has an opinion about this. He's not pushing the Fed. He's not um, uh, trying to drive through their independence. He, he said that. 
He's not saying change. He's not making calls, this and that. He's, he's, he's not disrupting their independence. He has said that several times, and I believe that myself. He's just um, giving his opinion. Uh, since we're here at the Washington Post, our colleague Jamal Khashoggi killed in the Saudi yes, consulate tragic, in Turkey. Terrible. What tragic. should the economic ramifications be for the Saudi royal family? Oh, I don't know. I, um, by the way, again, a, tra a tragedy, a absolute tragedy, terrible story. So, as you know, the investigations are ongoing. And as you also know, the uh, Saudi royal family has actually changed their tune quite a bit and now acknowledges that, um, that Khashoggi's dead. I mean, it took a while to get that out. So, President Trump has said many times, let's wait and see what the investigations produce, facts, and then consider potential options or not. Got to get the facts fully on the table. When you think about that arms deal, should it continue, the $110 billion arms deal President Trump talks about? Is it necessary for the economy? The President has said many times he would like that, but he's also said everything, may be, everything is on hold pending this investigation. If we only have a few minutes left, a couple minutes left, you say you're a supply sider. Yes, You've sir. had a long time support for immigration in this country, and you talked about how the closing message, maybe from your view, should be the economy. Uh, President Trump's focusing a lot on immigration. Uh, do you personally agree with him that birthright citizenship should be ended? Well, you know, I'm not a constitutional scholar. Uh, some people I know and respect are and believe that the 14th Amendment uh, deals with that, but I'm not a scholar, okay? Um, I, do th I do think many of these practices, illegal practices, have to be curtailed, okay? And I am pro-immigration, always have been, but I'm pro-legal immigration. The system is broken. The system has been broken for quite some time, and it needs to be fixed. The president has made as you know, a number of proposals to fix that system, uh, border security and different, you know, stop at the border. Sanctuary cities, a whole program of merit points to come into the United States, which um, many countries successfully use. I agree with that. I agree with all that. And trouble is Congress never passes it. So, yeah, I'm a supply sider and I'm a free market guy and I believe, I believe in the free flow of labor and capital. I think that benefits growth, but I also believe in legal sovereign borders and a legal immigration system. Final question, Larry. How long do you plan to stay in this job? <laughs> Is that the uh, answer? <laughs> uh, I serve at the president's pleasure, as you know. Um, I love this job. Most days, it's the most fun I've ever had, honestly. Most Keyword fun. word most? Most days. You know, you have your bad days. Um, uh, Aaron Judge will have a bad day or two. Yankee home run hitter. But the answer is I love the job. The answer is the president has been great to me, open, accessible, see him all the time. I love the work of the National Economic Council. We, we, we're involved.
in domestic and international policies across the board. I love the committee work. Um, I, I'm diligent in doing it. I love helping out in the media. It's just a wonderful job. It's just like a dream job. My wife said to me when this came up, the president was calling us uh, back in March, and we were considering it. Uh, she said, you know, you've been, you've been training 40 years for that job. And my saintly wife is probably right, that I've been in the government, OMB, Federal Reserve, Wall Street. I've been a broadcaster uh, 15, 20 years, radio and TV. You study the issues. You see it from different perspectives. But you don't have a timeline in mind? I do not. I do not. Um, I feel great. I, have no, I just love my job. So, I mean, I love my job. If I was in that NFIB optimism index, I'd be part of the up uh, line. It really is the most fun I've ever had. Thank you, Larry. Larry Cutlow, National Economic Council Director. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.